Good morning, everyone. It's Kevin here from Skywatcher, and thanks for joining us for another episode of the What's Up webcast. This takes place every Friday, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific, right here on the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. Um, thank you all for joining us this morning, this afternoon, this evening, wherever you are, even if you're watching this uh, recorded, because these are all saved on our YouTube account. If you ever want to go back and watch any of our what's up webcasts um, so during these uh, webcasts we try to cover all different aspects of astronomy whether that be imaging visual uh, equipment uh, everything that we pretty much feel like follows into that category um, in each one of these we try to make very specific so that way if you ever want to go back or you're trying to find a particular topic we aim each episode to be a very specific topic um, you can go back and find that and of course this week is no different this week we're actually talking about setting up your imaging train and we get a lot of questions about this um, weekly through our support channel uh, so we thought it would be good to do a video on how to keep uh, keep in mind what you're gonna need for attaching a camera to your telescope and there's a variety of ways to do this and um, kind of kind of go through the best ways to do that and kind of explain the reasoning behind all of that so i do hope uh this video is helpful to many of you out there and if it's just fun and review for you awesome no problem at all so uh let's get started oh and of course um if you do like our youtube channel and you do want to keep up with all the videos since we do these once a week you can always subscribe to the channel and you get notified when our new videos are coming um anytime soon so there is that and if you have any questions about skywatcher product or um miss something today or you have an idea for a webcast in the future uh, you can always email us at support at skywatcherusa.com. Okay, now let's get started. So, astrophotography is probably one of the, it basically is, the biggest interest level uh, in the hobby. That's what everybody wants to do nowadays for the most part. Everyone wants to take pictures. So, but there are, there are right ways to go about that, especially if you're gonna start advancing in your astrophotography. Um, I guess for lack of a better term so uh, but we all want to take amazing pictures like you know what this is right here um, we all want to take those stunning detailed images and we want to do that right well if you've done astrophotography or if you're looking to get into astrophotography um, it's a puzzle we're putting all these different systems together most of the time they're from multiple manufacturers and we're hoping this puzzle all comes together and today we're going to talk about one piece of that puzzle um, and that's the imaging train and um, there we go the imaging train now the imaging train is basically your entire optical assembly uh, from the telescope all the way to the camera but in particular, we're talking about the back portion of that. You know, the telescope is doing its job regardless. But attaching the camera and using your accessories on the rear of the telescope, uh, there is a couple things that you need to take in mind um, when setting this up. 
So that's what we're going over today. We're going over the details of building the imaging train. So as I described it, the imaging train is basically the optical assembly at the end of the telescope connecting the camera to the telescope. You could include the telescope in that, but mostly it's the rear portion, all the accessories in the back that are linking the camera to the telescope. And there's a variety of things that astronomers like to use in there, different accessories um, and other optical equipment. So all of that is involved in that train so there's something that there's things that we need to keep in mind this generally includes the camera the filters filter wheel if you're using something to contain said filters um, an off-axis guider or an oag and uh, the focuser some focusers will fit inside of the imaging train so that's something we need to consider and of course the corrector and any other optics that you might have uh, going in there so and then the telescope of course is at the front end of all of that and the telescope is going to do its job regardless so we need to keep track of everything going beyond the telescope so here's a basic imaging system uh, this is my starlight express sx35 um, attached to a i don't have the lens anymore but it's a canon 200 millimeter f 2.8 l uh, telephoto lens and then that's using a Starizona lens slider um, for Canon to adapt that to my camera. So the basic format here is we have the telephoto lens, we have the lens adapter, filter drawer, and the camera. So all of that has to work together in order to provide a well-corrected field for the camera sensor to capture that image that you want to see. And this is a very basic setup. Now, let's advance this a little bit more into kind of more what most people are doing nowadays, and it's going to look something like this. Of course, we have our refractor, and then we have all of our goodies on the back of it. So this is our main telescope right here, and then our imaging train starts here and moves back towards the camera. But just to give you a breakdown, of this system we have the camera at the back filter wheel spacer and sometimes there's more than one spacer and the corrector so all of this has to work together I'm sorry back that up. all this has to work together and be very precise in order for you to achieve uh, the images that you want to achieve and the big thing that you hear a lot, of course, is back focus. If you're setting up an imaging system, back focus is going to be your framework of where all that's going to come together. And the back focus is a measurement, um, generally somewhere from the optical system that the sensor has to be placed away from. So that's the distance that the sensor of the camera needs to be from a certain position on the telescope. Now that could be a corrective element in the telescope. Uh, that could be a corrector that you add to the telescope. Normally when you're using a telescope for astrophotography or there's an available corrector or reducer or whatever they want to call it, they're going to have what's called the back focus is going to be listed somewhere. That measurement, that is the ultimate 
framework that you have to work within. Everything you want to put on the back of your telescope for imaging has to fit in that measurement. Um, yeah, field flattener, focal reducer, um, coma corrector should be in there as well, um, now that I think about it. Uh, any type of corrector is going to have a back focus. Um, you know, like our Skywatcher Esprit, we include the field flattener. Those have their own set back focus distances. Any focal reducers that you want to put into your telescope have a preset back focus. So you need to make sure you're aware of that when building your system because that's going to affect your images. And we'll get into that in a little bit on how that will affect the image uh, overall. So basically how these work is that the telescope is focusing light, but because the telescope is focusing light either with a curved surface like a lens or a mirror, not all that light is hitting the sensor which is flat at the same time and you're gonna get different aberrations that way. So we do need a corrector on the back of our telescope in order to achieve that flat field, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, some telescopes have that built in, like the Celestron Edge HDs, or if you're shooting with like a corrected Dalkirkum, like Plane Wave, um, most of those um, have a corrector built into the back of the tube or a Takahashi Epsilon. Uh, astrograph some of these more advanced systems have the corrector built in so wherever the telescope comes to focus is generally where that's going to be happy but they still have their listed back focuses so you want to keep track of that and then any corrector that you might add whether you know if you're using a refractor you're going to be using a field flattener or if you're using a focal reducer every single one of those is going to have a listed back focus so everything you need is going to have to fit within whatever that measurements going to be um, and this way that will secure um, that you get those pinpoint beautiful images across the field of view and that's what we're going for because if you're not using a corrector you're probably going to find out that the stars at the edge of your field don't look great um, which is okay if you're just getting started and you're kind of experimenting, that's fine. But eventually you're adding a corrector to solve that issue to where you're gonna get those beautiful images and all those pinpoint stars all the way to the edge. That's what we're paying all this money for, right? We want those images to pop and look great. And there are ways to do that. And this is how we implement that. Like I said earlier, all correctors have a set back focus position in order to provide the proper correction. If you're too close or too far, you're not going to get that. Um, you're not going to be able to get those beautiful images that you want. Um, they're going to look good in the middle and then out towards the edge, the stars might look a little weird, especially if the telescopes are fast. Like if you're talking like an imaging Newtonian, that's f4 and has a parabolic mirror and it's got some coma going on a corrector is a must a coma corrector is something that you're definitely going to need because it's going to eliminate all that and allow you to get all that speed from the telescope that you paid for um, but also give you those nice images so um, especially like fast refractors that's also something that you're going to need so 
when you first get your telescope or when you're looking for a telescope um, to do astrophotography with, always look for the back focus measurement because that's going to tell you how much wiggle room you're going to have to put stuff in. So let's say you want to have a monochrome camera. Most monochrome cameras are going to need a filter wheel. You need to make sure that that back focus is going to have enough room to implement your camera and the filter wheel to the corrector. If you don't have enough, you can't use it. Uh, or if you want to start adding other accessories, like let's say you want to add like a real precise focuser between the corrector and the camera. Normally you would put the focuser before the corrector so the whole imaging train is on there and it doesn't affect your back focus, but I have seen it the other way around. That's something you need to think about. Or an off-axis guider, that also takes up um, back fo it takes up a lot of back focus um, on some systems so all of that is going to play out on what can be used on your imaging system and if you've got too much if it pushes the camera too far away from or past that listed back focus you're not going to get those images everything's going to be distorted because it's not at the correct position if it's too short, that's okay because we can always add spacers or you can get spacers made up in order to eat up the remaining back focus. So too short, you're okay. Just a little bit of an investment on some spacers. Too far, you're kind of just screwed at that point and something's got to come out of the train. So it's you got to keep up and understand what you're looking for. Uh, but just remember, this is the framework of your imaging system. So... You always want to make sure you know this. So that way, when you buy your camera, you know that you can fit all these other accessories in it. I've had a lot of customers who've actually just went out. They went online. They're like, oh, I was told to get a camera, an off-axis guider, a filter wheel, blah, 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 blah. And they've come to find out the hard way that they can't fit the OAG in there, off-axis guider. We're going to call that OAG from now on. They can't fit that in there because there's not enough room. So something's got to give. So before you go out and spend a oodle of money on stuff, make sure you know what the back focus is going to be for the system. And that way you know what you're working for. Now most telescopes that are designed for imaging generally have a fair amount to be very accommodating, but there are limitations. We can only add so much into a system. So larger telescopes that are designed for astrophotography tend to have a larger amount of back focus. Um, I know like the Celestron Edge HDs is a pretty good amount. Um, our Skywatcher Esprit 150 has almost four inches of back focus. Um, the 120 is almost three inches. So there's a fair amount of stuff you can squeeze in there, especially if it's done correctly um, and with low profile stuff, you can actually get away with stuff. And that's something that you're starting to see from companies like ZWO and Starlight Express and um, SBIG. Um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of different um, low profile things that you can get in there. And yes, I just said oodle, so. Uh, we'll get to that in just a second. I'm going to show you how we actually calculate all that. Most of the time, back focus should be listed in millimeters. Um, inches, you're not going to see too much. So yes, back focus is 
um, always listed in millimeters for the most part. Um, I've, I've actually never seen it listed in any other way. Um, should be in millimeters. That's going to be the most accurate because we are talking about millimeter accuracy um, when we're talking about back focus. Because um, if you're off a little bit, that can actually shift some stuff. But um, we'll, we will discuss that here in a second. I haven't forgotten about it. Now, if you are a DSLR or a mirrorless user, uh, there's also a back focus for the camera itself or how far the chip in the camera sits in the body. Um, and most uh, companies, when you're talking about the camera world, they're gonna know this as the flange distance. Um, that's just another way of saying back focus, but that's how, that's how far back the sensor in your Canon or Nikon or yeah so your Canon your Nikon your Sony how far back from this front mounting flange the sensor sits from this and that's normally marked on most cameras let me actually make this bigger because I have a lot of people who shoot SLRs on a television or mirrorless um, so flange distance um, flange distance on a mirrorless or DSLR. These are normally listed online by the manufacturer somewhere. They'll say in millimeters how far the chip is inset into the body. Um, that's important because you have to take this into accommodation of back focus. And I'm going to show you exactly how to do this right after this. Um, we're going to actually go through each setup. We're going to go through DSLR slash mirrorless. One shot color CCD and CMOS, and then we'll do the whole shebang with the filter wheels and everything. So we're gonna do each setup. Okay, so if you're doing a DSLR or mirrorless, you need to pay attention to the flange distance because that has to be implemented with the listed back focus of the telescope. You have to take this into account. So uh, like for Canon, it's about 44 millimeter um, from the flange. So what they mean is how far back that sensor sits from this front flange. Now that's actually, there's a mark on here, right there, this little white uh, circle with a line through it. That's the, that's the focus point, or that's where the sensor sits. So you can actually measure that to the front. Pretty much every camera is gonna have this marking on there. You just have to look for it. Um, most of the time you don't think about this too much because all the all the lenses that work on these cameras um, it's all figured out it clicks into position and you're done you don't really think about all of that um, so it's not a big deal but for telescopes that is a big deal because it has to be set at a certain position especially if you're implementing a corrector So let's actually set up a DSLR system on a telescope with a corrector. Um, so we're gonna start real slow on this. So first off, we've got our focuser. We've got our corrector mounted to the back. Here's the corrector. Got our mounting ring to mount that corrector and we've got it mounted onto the focuser. So it's, we're ready to start adding our imaging train onto this and I should probably get out of the way. Everything I do up by my big fat face. Okay, so corrector is right here. We have the adapter for the corrector if needed. Um, normally that would come with the telescope or the corrector that you're using will mate up to the telescope of choice. 
Um, sometimes you need custom spacers. Um, this is an Esprit 80 we're working on, so it all it comes with all of this. Um, so we have the corrector, field flattener, the mounting ring, and then it goes onto the focuser. So everything from this point on, you can see right here, everything from, there we go, that rear flange is where our imaging system starts. Uh, that is our back focus from there. And on this particular setup, um, we're talking 66 millimeters is how much we have to work with from the back flange of the field flattener. That is our framework. Everything we want to do has that, has to fit within that 66 millimeter. So how do we calculate all of that? So let's take this step by step because this is where I find most people get messed up um, on this because there's a couple things we need to pay attention to. So when you're calculating your imaging train, your whole setup and making sure that it's going to fit and work with the corrector provided or required for your scope. Um, first off, you're going to want to know what the back focus of your corrector is. That's what I said is going to be the framework. Everything has to fit within that. The next thing you want to know is the back focus of your camera because that's going to be that's the second that is the most important thing that's what we're trying to get to this correct position now that is basically the back focus of your camera is how far back the sensor sits from the mounting assembly for the camera and then of course once you know those two, you'll know what you have left over to squeeze whatever other accessories you're gonna add. And you're gonna have to know what the thickness of those accessories are to make sure they fit within the leftover space. So let's do an example real quick. So we're gonna mount our Canon 60DA because that's what we've got here. Uh, the corrector back focus for this particular telescope is 66 millimeters. The camera back focus or flange distance or how far back in the body of the sensor sits from the mounting flange is 44 millimeters. So we need to subtract those two. So you're going to take 66, which is the corrector back focus, subtract that by the camera back focus or flange distance, which is 44 millimeters. And you're left over with whatever else you have left to play with, which in this case is 22 millimeters. So we have 22 millimeters left in our imaging train that needs to be used at some point. You have to use that either by putting accessories in there or spacers or adapters or whatever you need to put in there. That has to be eaten up um, in order to put the camera at the correct position. Um, so that's what you have to work with. Now, when you get these really thin uh, back focus leftovers, you've got the camera and you've got the corrector, like for this, there's only 22 millimeters left. That's not a lot of room to add much. So most of the time, you're probably gonna eat that up with just a spacer, because most filter wheels are not that thin. Um, some filter adapters you could probably squeeze in there, but you also need to make sure that you acquire, especially when you're doing like a mirrorless or a DSLR, you have to take into account the T-ring that mounts that camera to there that has its own thickness. So we're gonna break all that down here in a second. So kind of got ahead of ourselves here, but 
you must take the thickness of all those accessories into account to make sure they're going to fit within the back focus measurement. If it's too far, um, you're not going to get good stars at the edge. If it's too close, you're also not going to get good stars. So let's set up, let's set up the most basic uh, arrangement. Um, this is our most popular, highly requested um, setup, and that's setting up a DSLR or mirrorless camera. Now, in this case, we're going to use a DSLR because that's what I have on hand, um, but all of it's pretty much the same. Um, if you're using a mirrorless camera, you might need to add a spacer to eat up the remaining back focus because the flange distance or the back focus of that camera body is thinner than most DSLRs, um, so there might need to be a spacer added. So let's take a look at what we have to work with with this. So our corrector, because we are using our Esprit 80, has a 66 millimeter back focus for the corrector. Our camera has a 44 millimeter back focus or flange distance. Here we have our corrector, it's ready to go. Um, again, we have a 66 millimeter back focus. So we need to add a ring um, and this is a 11 millimeter 11 millimeter thick spacer. Now, when you are working with correctors, what you'll find, let me go back here, is a lot of times these correctors have very large threads on the back, and that's to make sure that the glass that we're using is illuminating the sensors that we're utilizing. So the threads are generally gonna be much larger than what most camera rings are. Most camera T-rings are about 42 millimeter, um, the Skywatcher ones in some of the large format are 48 to better illuminate full frame. Uh, or your camera that you're using, like a, a CMOS or CCD, that might be using a 42, 48, or 56 millimeter threads, um, 54. Um, but there's a general set of threads that are generally used. So you might need to have step down adapters in there to get you to the thread size, that's also gonna take up space, so you need to accommodate for that. So in this case, this is something we need to think about. Um, the Esprits use a very large 66-odd uh, millimeter thread on the back, depending on the model. Um, so we need to step, not only do we need to get the spacing right, but we need to step down in thread size so we can mount our M48 Canon adapter to it, because the threads don't match. So let's do that. So we have our corrector. Then we add our step down ring. This is 11 millimeters thick and drops us down to our 48 millimeter threading, which we We can then add our M48 adapter. What this does is it, it sets us up to be able to mount our Canon body to the corrector. And this also has its own thickness. So it's taking up some of that and that's about 10, 11 millimeters thick. Um, so that gets implemented in there. And then finally, we put our camera on, which fills up the remainder with 44 millimeters, therefore achieving our back focus. Now, back focus has to be close, um, but there's generally a small amount of wiggle room in there, generally plus or minus one millimeter. Uh, the faster your telescope is, um, the more critical that's going to be, and this is going to vary between each system, but there is generally, you know, a fraction to work with in there. Um, so if you're a little bit off, like a millimeter or two on like a slower system, 
uh, we'll say like f7 f6 you're probably okay uh, the bigger the sensor however the more critical this gets because you're getting further away from the center of the telescope's position or the center field of view so when you're using like a full frame camera your positioning needs to be taken uh, serious as possible so the most accurate you can get with bigger sensors the better if you're using tiny sensors uh, there's even times you don't need a corrector because you're not far enough out to see some of those uh, aberrations okay so this is for a dslr now if you had a mirrorless body like let's say you had a sony or a canon eos r or something like that um, you can either get a spacer to mate up between the tiering here and the adapter uh, or some of the camera companies have adapters that take it from one mount so let's say you have a sony and you want to use a canon ring just to make it easy you can get a sony uh, E mount to Canon R or EF mount ring adapter, and you can put that in there, and that'll automatically put it at the correct back focus because those adapters are used on lenses from those manufacturers, which also have to meet this back focus requirement. So it'll set you in the right position. Um, just make sure you're going to the correct adapter on the back of the telescope there. Um, but if you are using a mirrorless camera, you are going to need either some more spacers or a particular adapter. Um, I shoot with a Canon EOS R. Um, when I shoot on these, how I do it is I have the camera body, and then the camera body has a RF to EF adapter because I have EF lenses I want to use. But that also allows me to connect direct to the EF adapter ring we have right here and puts me at the right spacing. So right off the shelf easy stuff to do right there um, i will tell you right now probably one of the hardest brands i've had to adapt for people is fuji um, just because i can't generally find the thread size um, to match up for things there's an adapter for everything but um, when you're jumping up in thread sizes uh, you have to be accommodative of that so that can be difficult so fuji um, and pentax are particularly difficult to uh, work with it just for what we found just finding the correct spacers um canon nikon sony those are all really easy um olympus isn't too difficult to do either um, but yeah when you get to fuji right now hopefully someone comes out with better adapters but just so you know okay now let's step up to a one-shot color system and how we do that so let's look at our imaging specs that we're actually going to be using. So again, we're using the Esprit 80, 66 millimeter back focus for the corrector. Everything has to fit within that. This time we're using a Starlight Express one-shot color CCD, which has a back focus of only 17 millimeters, so real thin. The ZWOs are very similar to this. And then I want to be able to use filters on this as well. So I'm going to use a filter drawer so I can easily switch out the filters in the system without having to take it apart as one of the biggest annoyances I have um, when I'm using my one-shot color is though you can put a filter in the system it's um, not it's a lot easier to use a filter drawer uh, Donnie the back focus uh, for the Esprit is listed in the manual PDFs on the support page so you can check those out so this is what I'm using, uh, corrector 66 millimeters, 
camera is 17 millimeters and then I want to add a filter drawer in there so I can easily flip filters out that's another 17 millimeters so that's what I want to work with we'll see if it all fits so let's start so again 66 millimeter back focus that's what we have to work with we're going to first add our 11 millimeter thick spacer because that's just what's included with the Esprit's What's nice about this is it drops it down to a more usable 48 millimeter threading. And then what also is nice about this, particularly if you're shooting with the Esprit's, if you have the 48 millimeter step down installed, everything from this point on is 55 millimeters. It's really easy to hook up a ton of stuff to that. So. Um, a lot of our stuff is set up for 55 millimeters, which makes it really convenient for SLRs and mirrorless and some of these short focus uh, DSLRs. Um, if you've got something bigger, you don't need to use this adapter ring. You can get a custom ring and go direct, but we'll talk about that later. Um, so in this case, we're going to use the 11 millimeter thick spacer that's included with the scope. That does two things. It eats up some of the back focus by 11 millimeters but it also drops us to the 48 millimeter threads that we want to use, much more convenient. Now, I know I'm gonna to have to eat up some back focus on this, so I have a custom spacer that was machined. This is 20 millimeters thick, and what this does is it takes me from 48 and brings me out to where my filter drawer is gonna come in, because I need to eat up 20, I did the math, I needed to eat up 20 millimeters of back focus with this combination. I'm then going to add my filter drawer, eats up 17 millimeters, and then finally the camera. So that allows us to achieve the final 66 millimeter back focus um, for this particular arrangement. Now, if you're using like a ZWO camera, a lot of our customers are doing that because they're so popular. DWO is kind of nice that they include all the accessories and rings to actually achieve this right out of the box. Um, not using the filter drawer. If you want to get a filter drawer like this one's from Star Arizona, it's called the filter slider. Um, you'd have to get some custom spacers figured out. Um, but if you have a ZWO, pretty much any of the cooled models, they generally come with all the spacers needed to set up 55 millimeter back focus on a 48 millimeter thread. So any of our EvoStar reducers um, or the Esprit flatteners or our Coma corrector, they're all set up with the same back focus in mind. As long as you're using the included spacers that ZWO has provided, you can thread it right on and you're all set without anything to think about. So um, that just kind of works out. Um, other brands, you might need different spacers to be made. It just depends. Every system is unique. So you need to take it kind of one step at a time when you're putting these. Okay, so let's jump into the monochrome camera. This is the main thing a lot of people are looking for when they jump up into this. So let's look at our specs. Our corrector again, 66 millimeter back focus. Camera, 17 millimeter back focus. But now we're adding a filter wheel. Filter wheels tend to eat up some more back focus. They're a little thicker. Um, this one in particular is 29 millimeters thick. Um, some of the bigger ones can be even bigger. Um, so it's something that you should take an account for. Let's put this together. So again, we have our flattener, 66 millimeter back focus. 
Um, in this case, I am going to use the 11 millimeter spacer that we include because I want to get down to that 48 millimeter threading. And then I have another ring that I had to have made because I couldn't find it because that filter wheel is a really unique back focus. It's 29 millimeters. It's not a nice even number. So I had to get a nine millimeter thick spacer made up. But this use, this spacer is unique because the filter wheel has 42 millimeter threads on it. I'm at 48. So not only do I need to extend that back focus by nine millimeters, I need to drop to 42 millimeters in order to mate filter wheel up. So this is doing two things right here. It's extending me to the proper spot and then it's dropping me down to the 42 millimeters just so I can mate up the filter wheel um, onto the back there. And now the filter wheel with the two flanges, this one and this one, you have to accommodate all of that. That's 29 millimeters thick, so that's eating all that up. Finally giving me camera at the back, which is 17, therefore achieving 66 millimeters back that we're looking for. So that's how all that would come together. Now if you had a large format camera, like our full frame camera, we're not gonna use the 48 millimeter thread spacer because it vignettes. So if we're using a full frame, really big, full, we're talking like 16803 monster sensor cameras, um, and you've got a big filter wheel, what you'd probably wanna do here is you'd wanna thread directly to the threads of the corrector, which means these two spacers in the middle would be eliminated for one custom made spacer that takes me from the large 60 whatever odd threads on the back of the corrector directly to the corrector, I'm sorry, correctly to the uh, ugh, I can't talk, filter wheel. I actually have one right here. Now this is just the front plate, um, but let me show you guys this. This is from one of our test setups. This is the front plate of a Starlight Express Maxi wheel. Um, these are huge, huge filter wheels. They're about 10 inch in diameter. Um, these are for large full frame cameras. Like uh, we use it on our SX35, which is a full frame 35 millimeter monochrome nine position filter wheel. Um, and then we also have this on our remote observatory with a 16803 sensor with huge seven position uh, square 50 millimeter. Um, but because the back threads on these are huge, that's like a 72 millimeter thread back there. Um, to illuminate that image circle for those big sensors, we actually need to have custom spacers produced for that. So you can look here. This is actually for an Esprit 100 at the moment. So this is the back flange uh, adapter for the, uh, the draw tube. This is our step down ring to mate the flattener to the focuser. If you look real close, there's not much room needed because the back focus on this uh, filter wheel is rather thick because it actually has a built-in off-axis guider on it. Um, take this off real quick. 
if you look close, there's a little ring in here, and that is an adapter ring that does um, two things. It it adapts our 60 whatever odd, I don't know it off the top of my head, the 60 millimeter-ish threads on the back of the corrector here, and adapts that to these huge 72 millimeter threads onto the filter wheel there so that's a custom ring you can get those made by like precise parts um that's what you're gonna have to do when you're getting to these big sensors you need to take that into uh thought so that thread's all on there that adapts our our smaller thread to our bigger thread and then achieves the there's only a few millimeters there i think this is like four millimeters difference but when we're using a 16803 sensor which is 35 by 35 millimeter square um it's it's big um we get our custom made spacers we usually get them done by star arizona um just because for me they're local um but precise parts is probably one of the easier places to get that done um and you can design it all there and made up whatever you want um just make sure you have the correct threading and the correct spacing to what you're trying to adapt but you can pretty much make anything you want up to anything um, nowadays now real quick um let's talk about imaging train aberrations because i see this happen a lot um there's a couple different things that can occur um, when you've got your imaging train all set up the biggest one i see is tilt now tilt um you can kind of, this is the best picture i had um for tilt now some people might this is one of my earlier orion pictures um this actually has tilt in it and um how you can notify tilt or identify i'm sorry um identify tilt is if you look up at the top of the frame here you'll see the stars up at the edge are kind of bloated and flared away from the center where the bottom portions actually look pretty good. So let's take a closer look. Here's the top stars. You can see all the top stars are kind of flared out from the center, as opposed to the bottom set, which actually look pretty good. Um, they're not too bad. And this is with a corrector. So it's all being corrected, apparently, but it's still not there. So we have an issue in the imaging train where you have stars that are nice at the top or bottom or whatever, and it, one side of the frame looks good, the other side is not good, and it progressively changes throughout the image. That is called tilt. And it kind of looks like this. This is CCD Inspector, if you guys ever want to take it. We, take a, we always take a look at it using uh, this program so we can get a 3D model of the actual, uh, what the field looks like. This is the field uh, model for this Orion image. Um, this is the model for this. So you can see from the bottom to the top, the frame is actually tilted. And here's the top look. So you can see darker at the bottom, it looks pretty good. The darker the blue, the better. Uh, dark blue, it looks pretty good. It's a little offset. Moving up, it's tilted. And then the corners have a little bit of problems because they're flared up. So we're not quite working with a completely flat field, which tells me that the spacing on this is off. Um, we're not at the correct back focus on this. So tilt is a physical occurrence inside the system. Um, something is literally tilted. It's not flat. Um, 
This could either be flexing the focuser. Uh, the, the worst one, of course, is if the camera sensor is tilted. Now, some of the newer camera companies have the ability to actually adjust tilt of the front plate, which is kind of nice. You can flatten that up. Uh, set screws, like if you have uh, set screws where the camera corrector is held in place by set screws, that can implement a little bit of offset or tilt. Um, and if your adapters are not square and machined correctly, um, oops, sorry. So there's a number of things that can be, uh, tilt can happen. And most of the time there is tilt in every system, but you can get it to a point where it's not noticeable. Um, but with these models, they're generally really sensitive, so you can pick up that tilt really easily. Um, so th for the most part, there's tilt in everything, but you just get it to a point where it's not noticeable and it's fine. Um, you can get really crazy about it if you want, but that's just the reality of it. So um, uh, a way you can test for tilt if you know what's in the imaging system is if you rotate the whole imaging system, the corrector, everything together, on everything except the scope. You rotate the corrector with the camera and all that imaging train. If you rotate it, and that tilt moves, then you know it's in the imaging train. Um, and then you can start to pin down one at a time where the, the tilt is coming from. But if it rotates, you know it's part of the imaging train. So, and then you can rotate everything bit by bit until it stops rotating. So um, if your camera has tilt, it will rotate all the time. If something else has tilt, then it, you can identify it slowly. Uh, the next big thing is field curvature. Uh, this is generally why we use correctors in general. Um, this is an early image of me messing around a while ago. This is a imaging Newtonian, that a Quattro imaging Newtonian without the corrector. They're really made to be used with the corrector. Um, you really should be using them with a corrector. Um, I was also using a tiny little guide camera and it wasn't mounted with threaded adapters. If you can always use a thread adapter, that's the best because it it's the most square connection, um, but this is what that looks like. So you can see the, the field is curved. The corners don't look great. It's not flat. Um, it's, it's just not ideally where it should be. Field curvature can happen by either not using a corrector or not being spaced correctly. Now here's another picture as an example. This is a Skywatcher Esprit 150. This is just a basic DSLR shot. There's nothing, um, there's nothing special about this image. It looks pretty good for like 30 seconds, but this was at the Grand Canyon, so really dark. But you notice the star field looks pretty good. That's because we're running on a, a corrected system. I have the field flattener in place. This is, a, like I said, an Esprit 150 with its field flattener. I have all the spacers in place, and it looks like this flat that's exactly what you want it to look like that is a flat field no curvature like i said there's a little bit of little bit there but it's not enough that you'll ever notice it um but that's pretty darn good so that's where you want that to be a flat field this is what a corrected imaging system should produce or pretty close to um but that's what you're looking for nice flat corrected field so field curvature uh, is caused by the focal plane um, hitting a flat sensor and you're not using a corrector. 
Stars in the corner are going to be flared, either inward or outward, um, where the center looks nice and sharp. Um, and this is generally indicating that either A, no corrector is being used, or the sensor is in the wrong position. It's either too close to the corrector or too far back from the corrector. It's not spaced correctly with the back focus. So this is why we use correctors. Uh, we're using, uh, what are we using? We use CCD inspector to make the, the flat field models. It's, it just makes a nice graphic. You can do the same thing in PixInsight. It makes a map, but um, I like using CCD inspector. But I'll save all the questions to the end. We're almost done. So just a real quick overview. Let's plow through this real quick, then we'll get to questions. Um, always check your corrector, reducer, or telescope back focus. Like I said, this is the framework of where everything in your imaging train is going to build upon. Once you know that, you know how much room you got to work with. Um, so I already said that. Um, if your image train is too close, if your image sensor is too close or too far away um, from that back focus, it's not going to work correctly. You're going to get bad edge performance. You might get coma if you're using a Newtonian. Uh, or something with a parabolic system, and you're gonna get other optical aberrations. So do keep in mind um, all of this, it's important. Um, ensuring your camera is set at the correct position is always gonna give you those beautiful images that you want, so you can focus more on taking the picture and worrying less about the aberrations occurring in your system. Now you are, there is a chance that you might need to have some of these adapters custom machined, especially if you're using these new big cameras that are coming out. Um, look, I have people who call and they've spent thousands of dollars and they get upset that we don't have a, an adapter for them. There are too many different combinations of cameras, filter wheels, focusers, off-axis guiders, and telescopes for a manufacturer to have every single ring in stock. Um, Having a custom machined ring is a one-time thing. You get it made. It probably is going to cost somewhere between 100 and 200 bucks, depending on what you need. But that is the key to making your imaging system work if you're using big format sensors. Don't call up your manufacturer and complain that you have to buy a $200 ring when you drop 10 grand on your camera. So, just saying. Had it happen. Just, you know, get the ring you need um, and get to it. So we try to have some of the basic stuff. You can find off-the-shelf stuff if you're using like 42 or 48 millimeter, the standard stuff. But if you're getting ready to make the jump to a 16200 sensor or a um, an 11002 sensor or one of these new, uh, you know, 600 sensors, the big, big CMOS stuff, when you're getting that big, you need to make sure you're willing to make the investment. Don't get cheap on me, Dotson. Um, kind of stuff like that. It just it comes with the territory. You're gonna have to get something custom made if you're using big cameras. Using small stuff, APS-C crop sensor and smaller, you're probably okay. You can get stuff off the, you know, from any manufacturer at that point. All right. So that's it for this week. Kind of chewed through a lot of data. Uh, next week, we're talking about our EVO Star series, our ED doublet APO refractors. Um, 
It's just going to kind of be an inside look at all of the models there. So if you have any questions about them, if you're interested in this series, we're going to take a look at all of them from the Evo Guide 50, um, the tiny little one, all the way up to our Evo Star 150 EDDX model and everything in between. So if you're interested in these telescopes, we're going to take a look at that uh, next week. Um, so without further ado, that's pretty much it. If you have any questions, I'd be more than happy to answer them at this time and see what we can uh, get answered for you guys if you have any questions um, going through any of that. Let me just go through while we're waiting. Um, if anybody has questions, just to answer some of them, that if you miss some of them. Um, this is from Cat Made This. It's not clear to the beginner how is back focus listed, inches, millimeters, or Skittles. Well, Skittles would be great, but it's not accurate. Inches is too big. Um, so all back focus should be measured in millimeters. It'll give you the most accurate um, measurement. Um, second question, again, this is from the cat made this. What are you using for modeling the flatness of the field? So um, let me just show you guys this um, while I'm waiting for anybody. Um, I will open this up real quick. Um, this is CCD Inspector. Just Google CCD Inspector. It's not a freeware. Um, they do have like a 30-day trial, um, but you would have to uh, purchase this, um, get it. Um, so let me see if I can find image here real quick. So um, here's just an image. Let me see what this is a picture of. This is a picture of the Dumbbell Nebula. It's a pretty lousy shot of the Dumbbell Nebula. This is an early, early shot um, messing around. Uh, so here's our picture. Then we can go up here, select our shot. We can do 3D model. Actually, you can do a couple. So here's our curvature map. So it'll come up real quick. Think about this. Here's our curvature map for that. So you can see it is offset, it's not centered. Collimation is a little bit off. Our edges down here are, are not flat. Um, so we're not looking too good right here for this. It might need some spacing. Um, I think I wasn't using a, correct, a coma corrector at this time. So um, it's offset, could use a corrector, needs to be addressed. Now let's take a look at the same image in the 3D plot. Here's what that looks like right there. The cool thing about this is that it's completely usable and uh, adjustable. You can flip all the way around, seeing everything there. Um, we can see once again, um, the field is curved. So that tells me there's either no corrector or the spacing is not correct. Um, it's offset, so collimation is a little bit off from the imaging uh, sensor and the uh, uh, edges up here are not looking too good. So curvature is about 45%. So it needs to be addressed in order to give us the best um, correction possible there. So uh, this is CCD Inspector. You can do similar stuff in PixInsight as well. I like CCD Inspector because it gives us those neat um, 3D models. This has been used for a long time. Um, we use it to address different things when testing just to see how the fields look but it's pretty uh, cool to work with and it can help address problems. Like with anything, however, do not overanalyze this um, or you're just never gonna use anything. Um, 
at that point. Uh, this has been around for a while. It's really nothing new, but if you want to check it, um, it's not particularly cheap though. I think it's like 150 bucks for this, um, but it's something cool to mess around with and can help adjust for things. Again, you just want it to get it to be flat and looking good. So uh, something to uh, play with there. So that is CCD Inspector. Uh, can you use the software during the daytime? Uh, so the way CCD Inspector works is you actually put any picture you want inside of it. So you could take a flat frame, you could put it up against the sky, and then you download that and you put that into CCD Inspector and it will measure it. So yes, you could use CCD Inspector during the day. Um, you just pull in your data or image into that uh, and open it up. So it doesn't really need to be done on the fly live with the telescope. It's something you can do after the fact. So uh, the cat made this. Does moving up the primary mirror in reflectors have any effect on the back focus or is it always only based on the corrector? Well, technically, yeah, moving up the, the primary can affect the focus position because you're basically shifting the entire focus point uh, further up because you're, you're moving that optical surface forward. You see that happen a lot with like Dobsonians. Um, if you can't reach focus or you're adjusting the pole height on like some of these uh, custom truss dobs, um, moving the mirror up can help. Now, when you're doing imaging, um, it's the same concept, but you want to keep in mind that you're going to be using a coma corrector in there most likely, and that is going to affect your, your position. So once you put a corrector in the system, you need to take the back focus from the corrector, not the telescope itself. So um, I'm sure moving the primary would affect it a little bit, um, but it's not going to affect the back focus because you have to go off the corrector back focus at that point. So hopefully that answered some questions there for you. You guys have any other questions? We've got two minutes left and then we're wrapping up uh, today. Uh, I do hope you've enjoyed today. Um, let's see, Simon, out of all the Esprit series, which one would be the best for intermediate users, primarily Nebula imaging? My favorite and probably the most popular Esprit for imaging is the 100 millimeter Esprit. Um, the 100 millimeter is quite popular because it can handle a range of different sensors. Um, the 80 is very nice if you have a chance. Um, the only uh, limitation of the 80 is that it, it has a 33 millimeter image circle, which is really designed for crop sensors and smaller. Um, you could probably squeeze full frame, but ideally if you wanna start messing with the big boy sensors, if you wanna have the ability in the future to go full frame or bigger, the Esprit 100 is the start point for that. Um, just to show you guys real quick, um, this is an Esprit uh, 100 image. Uh, this is off of a 16803 sensor, which is, uh, pardon me, but it's freaking huge is how big a 16803 is. Um, this is actually larger than what the um, camera can act, what we actually list you can do with it. Um, but it actually is quite effective. Um, it works pretty well. Um, so it is something to, you know, 
you can hand the Esprit 100 essentially is where I would say if you're really interested in it, um, that would be the way to go. I'm sorry, I'm not used to drink myself. There we go. This is a 16803 sensor, uh, full frame, fully illuminated on uh, that. And let's take a look real quick. Um, up here in the corners. That's pretty good. This is a really extreme um, example as well because the 16803 is a very large sensor. Um, so this is actually beyond what the Esprit is listed to handle, but it, it does it quite well. So let's drag it over to this corner. You can see that the, the stars do look pretty nice on this. This was just a test shot. Uh, this camera is currently on our remote observatory um, up in Central California. It sits on an Esprit 150 at this point, which huge field of view. Um, but yeah, you can see that's um, it handles it quite well. So yeah, if you're looking at the Esprits, you're not sure which one to get, you want to do nebulas and wide field and stuff like that, the, the 100 would be my recommendation. So um, check that out. We are going to do a video, maybe we'll do one next month in September about the Esprit series, um, like we're going to do one for the Evo Stars next week. Um, we'll do a dive into the Esprits next month. So keep an eye out for that. All right. So that's pretty much it for this week. If you have any other questions, you can always write to us at support at skywatcherusa.com. Um, just title it What's Up, and um, we will uh, we'll get that question to you. Uh, you can always subscribe to this channel. Thanks again for watching, and we will see you guys next week. Take care, guys.